Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name is John McGahan from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we have created a podcast, bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Control the Controllables. Today we have another tennis player coming from the bubble in New York City as he prepares for the US Open, Nick Munro. Nick's aged 38. He's been on the Pro Tour now for 17 years after being a US college player, top US junior growing up. He brings an unbelievable work ethic, a great perspective and outlook on tennis. And it's another fascinating guest to have. Young tennis players, listen. It's, it's, it's a long career if you, if you want it to be. And there's some great messages in there for us all. Before I pass you over to Nick, as ever, please keep sharing the podcasts. Thank you all for your support. The ratings and reviews, they go a long way. So much appreciated. And also, hot off the press, 82 countries that control the controllables has now been listened in. Um, just over overwhelmed by the support and by all of you guys. If it's the first time you've listened to the podcast, please enjoy and take a look at the other 53. There's, there's many other different lenses of the sport to, to hear the stories of. If you're coming back for, for another go and you've passed it on to friends, then thank you very much. And we'll keep bringing these podcasts to you. I'm going to pass you over to Nick Monroe. Good, man. Good. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you again. Man. Thanks a million. Do you know Dan? Yeah, of course. Of course, man. Dan, uh, man and I go way back. <laughs> a long time. Huh? How, how's things? Everything's good, man. Just in New York right now. Um, uh, just preparing, man. The, I'm here for... Yeah, the U.S. Open will start in about 10 days or so. So just here preparing here in New York and uh, signing his alternate for the doubles here in Cincinnati or Cincinnati tournament in New York. Yeah. And then uh, just preparing, keep training and get ready for the Open. So everything's good, man. Well, the, last, the, la- the last time I saw you, Nick, you were kicking my player's ass first round of Wimbledon last year. <laughs> Who is that? Evan, Evan Hoyt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, okay. So, so I've been working with Evan for two or three years. So, so I was awesome. in. I was in. Uh, yeah, I was. I was. It, I was obviously there for that match. So. Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, he's playing well. It was a good, good match. So, uh, but yeah, man, no, everything's good. We just uh, we're here, kind of in this in this little bubble of uh, hotel and tennis courts and and back and forth. And so, yeah, it's uh, been interesting, but but. Um, you know, here we are. We're just happy to be playing again. For the for the listeners listening in, you've had a phenomenal career so far. You're out in the tour, you know, 18 years now. Um, you've had a career high in singles of 2-5-3 in the world and top 30 in, uh, in doubles. Um, how's things going, man? How, how's the preparation going for the U.S. Open? <clears throat> yeah, no, everything's going good, man. Just uh, here in New York at the moment. Um, we were kind of in a bubble between our hotel and the tennis courts and uh, – you know, not allowed to leave either one. And, and so, yeah, you know, it's, we're just happy to be competing again and uh, yeah, just training and preparing and staying focused and getting, getting ready for, for, you know, what's next. So. 
It sounds, Nick, it sounds like life on the Futures and ATP Challenger Tour anyway. I don't remember ever leaving the hotel or the tennis and courts. No. And, <laughs> and exactly, exactly. Just this time, you know, that there's like a, there's like a specific line you can't leave to leave the hotel and, you know, these kinds of things. So, so yeah, but obviously very similar, you know, always when you play or when you go back home, people are always like, oh, you went to Tokyo, what did you see? Or you went to India, what did you see? And you're always like the hotel and the tennis courts. That's all you see. Yeah. And you go to the same restaurant every day. And um, so, so, yeah, very similar. But, but this time knowing that you really can't go anywhere, you know, like so, <laughs> so, it's, a, so it's a little bit different in that way. And, and uh, but yeah, you know, we're just, again, we're just happy to be here and competing again. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great to see already the the first couple of days. It's been fantastic watching, and how you, you mentioned you were alternate for Cincinnati. So how far are you guys out? <clears throat> yeah, I believe uh, me and Jackson Withrow were two out as alternates. Um, you know, you know, you you hope everyone's here and and healthy and testing positive and whatever. But with with all of this uncertainty of you know testing every forty eight hours, every forty eight to seventy two hours, you never know kind of what's going to happen with people, you know, like basically when, when I, <clears throat> when I got here, landed in JFK, they picked me up, brought me to the hotel. Uh, we immediately were directed to the testing room that's in the hotel, uh, got tested. And then as soon as you got tested, you have to go straight to your room and, and stay in your room until you actually get the result back, which is 20, where between 24 and 36 hours. But <clears throat> mine ended up coming back in about 12 hours. So that was nice. Uh, you know, I got tested at 7 PM at, at uh, 7 a.m. the next morning it was back and I was good to go and then you're able to leave and go practice but then you get tested 48 hours later as well yeah. and then uh and then after that uh then it's then it's 72 hours after that so so yeah they have the different protocols and whatnot so anyways you know being as alternates number two yeah we're just staying ready and prepared and and um you know and and looking to play if we can and if not we're just preparing for the open and, and for those that are listening, obviously, the, it's a big tennis crowd that are listening to the podcast, but some people might not understand how the alternates work. And, and, and I, I think two things, Nick, for, for us, if you could. One, explain a little bit how alternates works. And two, I suppose the challenges, really, because you, you have to stay ready, but you, you, you've got no d defined even possibility of playing. So how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, basically how it works is, when, you know, for doubles, they add your rankings together. That's how you get into a tournament. And so when they add the Withrow and, and I together, we were considered the second uh, alternate behind the second team behind the list of who got in. So basically now what that means is we, you know, we basically keep training and preparing. And if somebody in the draw happens to get hurt or get food sickness or uh any any something where they can't play then they go to the next team down the list and to get in and so we are the second team down the list to get in um and with that being said basically let's say every day if matches start at 11 which is the case here we have to be on site normally at 10 30 you have to be on site 30 minutes before to sign in sign your name and then um and then then basically you're on the list so if somebody pulls out that day then you can get in um, if you decide not to go that day, uh, let's say you're, we're fifth alternate and the four teams ahead of us don't go that day and don't sign in at 1030 and we do sign in, then we become the first alternate because no one else who was ahead of us actually signed that day. Um, so you want to just, you know, give yourself a chance and sign every day and, and, 
then you just never have, never know. But yeah, you just, then next thing you know, what can happen too is a match that started 11, doubles match started 11, and there's like five matches at 11, or I mean five, uh, five matches throughout the day, or if the last doubles match is at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., you're at the courts all day because you're kind of there and not hoping, but yeah, you're there and just waiting to see what's going to, what's going to happen. So you can end up being at the courts all day. There's a match at 11 AM and a match at 8 PM. Um, just, you know, you, and you had your, you know, one and a half hour, two hour practice and physio and gym, and you know, you're done with your day by about, you know, 1230, one, two, and, but then you got to stay there for six hours waiting to see if you have a chance to sneak in. So I've seen crazy things happen. So you always want to give yourself a shot. And Nick, you're always, always ready to pants, man. You're already the pants. <laughs> yeah, man. Always got to be ready. Um, Nick, what, can you tell us what the environment's like out there uh, at the tournament? You know, obviously no crowds or spectators. Uh, what, what's it feel like being in that bubble? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, at the, at the US Open, I mean, we pretty much have the run of the whole place. Um, you know, what they've done is kind of in the courtyard area where there's a lot of fans normally, like watching on the big screen of Arthur Ashe or whatever, they've put uh, pool tables and, and little putt-putt course and ping pong tables and different little games that we can play in that little courtyard area. So it's similar. I've never played the Olympics, but I've seen pictures and whatnot, similar to kind of an Olympic village where it's all all for us, right? Um, we, we have a little warm-up area that they've designated outside and next to that as well and uh, basketball hoop and whatnot. So it's kind of like, you know, you have some games and stuff you can play to keep your, keep your mind off tennis and just have some fun and hang out with some of the other players. But when I say hang out with other players, we still have our mask on. There are people walking around the ground specifically there just to make sure that you have your mask on at all times. I mean, there's been times where even I kind of forgot and my mask is like not on my nose, but it's on my mouth and they'll come up and say, Hey, sorry, sir, can you put it up? And then, you know, you make sure you always have your mask on. And um, so at all times we have our mask on, whether you're watching a match, whether you're when you're walking around the grounds, I mean, the only time you don't have it on is when you're, there's when you're, I mean, I'm in my hotel room by myself, so I can go without it. But, but the only time you don't have it on is when you're playing tennis and, um, and eating, you know? And so yeah. uh, even the player restaurant, which is normally a lot of players. Now they have the table separated and there's like one or two chairs per table. Um, you know, so there's not a lot of people hanging out and, and confining in one place. Um, um, so yeah, it's different. I mean, you know, and it's different from yesterday watching, uh, you know, seeing like Dominic team watching his friend, you know, so he's just sitting out in the stands, like no big deal. Right. You wouldn't be able to do that at a normal US Open, or he wouldn't be able to do that at a normal US Open or normal tournament. Right. And so players are able to just kind of go watch their friends and not have to worry about fans coming up and which, which obviously love fans and everything, but it's just different because they're able to just kind of go around and do what they want to do and not have to worry about much. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it, and, and then, Again, we come back to our hotel basically once the day's finished. They have buses that run every 15 minutes, um, take bringing us back to the hotel. Obviously, mask on on the bus, and then as soon as we get back, you walk in the hotel, and and you know you're you're here, right? Like they have people kind of at every entrance, exit, to make sure that kind of no one leaves the bubble, right? Uh, we do have a little beer garden outside that's got kind of a big screen TV and some chairs that are separated again, um, where we can watch TV and you can talk to your friend at a distance. And, but at least you can, that's the one outdoor area that we do have, um, here at the hotel. And then, 
And then every day they've been bringing in a different food truck every day, right by the beer garden that has free food for the players at, uh, for, for dinner. Um, so that's been, that's been cool. And then if you don't do the food truck, you have to Uber eats or you have to order online from someone and then they'll bring it here to the hotel. And so, you know, we're not allowed to go out to dinner. We're not allowed to um, do any of that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of room service, Uber Eats, food truck. Um, you know, a lot of people are also bringing food back from the courts back to the hotel. So, um, you know, we get a, I think it's a hundred dollars a day on our, on our credentials. So if you have some extra money by the time the day's over, which I've done it a few days already, I've just brought food back from the courts and that's been my dinner, uh, knowing that I obviously I can't go anywhere else. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, you know, and in, in, in here in the hotel, we have the, the the physios, the massage, we have, um, they have some game rooms, like a golf simulator room, another room with a ping pong table and basketball hoop. They have a, a gym, uh, again, that's, that's separated. Treadmills are separated. Benches are separated. Everything's separated. You have your own little spot you have to be in, in the gym. Um, you know, and, and then a, a recovery room in, in the hotel as well with, with uh, the boots that you put on for your legs and and different icy hot things that you can use and the massage um, machines for your for your body so yeah so it's uh you know they've set up a full deal here where you don't really need if you need physio work physio work is here if you need massage the massage is here everything's here that you need you know so uh they've done a great job you know i gotta say with everything so it's it's been uh, i think i'd have to say the players are you know very very happy with how it's gone and kind of a little bit surprised, you know, everyone was kind of not sure how is this going to work? You know, are we really gonna, you know, how is this going to work? Cause it's going to be so different, you know? Um, yeah. But, but Eric Buderak and USCA have done a, done an amazing job with it. So what, what an operation, what a massive operation. <laughs> I, I, I have to take you back, Nick, to the hundred dollars a day on your, on your cards. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it an unwritten rule in professional tennis that you must spend every penny of of that credential? <laughs> and I'd share a little story. The the Brian brothers, who I'm sure you're you're very close to, and I was very fortunate to share a court with once at Wimbledon. Um, I, it it amazed me last year at Wimbledon. It was about 7:30 p.m. and I saw the Brian's go in. They were over at Arangi Park, and they got the credentials out. And they went and they must have had about 35 pounds worth of, of chocolate muffins, sweets, <laughs> chocolates. And I, and, and, I, and I thought it was just the juniors that did that, you know, that had to spend every no, penny. No, so no, no, no. Yeah, you, no, you got to do it. I mean, again, like I said, I mean, shoot, I've, I've been like, okay, shoot, I have $50 left that I can use. And I'll go order some bars or order a smoothie or order something because you can always use a little smoothie. I mean, who doesn't want a smoothie? Who doesn't want to spend that extra money if we have it, you know? Absolutely. So it's, yeah, definitely. I was like, well, shoot, I'm going to get a dinner too. Right. So if I, have, yeah. if I have that much money, I don't, I don't need to spend on Uber eats. I can do the dinner, you know, through the card. So, so yeah, definitely an unwritten rule, especially if there's bars involved and all that kind of stuff that you can bring back. So, yeah. And we spoke to Dan Evans and his coach, Mark Hilton, a couple of days ago. And we spoke to him from the luxury of the seeded sweets around Arthur Ashe. You know, okay. so he was he was looking out at Djokovic playing against Silic and they gave us a little tour around the suite. I think the NBA basketball was on. I guess as an alternate, 
you probably actually need it more than a seeded player if you're going to be there from 10 o'clock till 8 o'clock, which, bring, which brings me on to a point I'd love to get your thoughts on of someone that's been around the tour for so long. Is it fair that players do get that preferential treatment? I know it's kind of almost in the tennis world that that's what happens, but do you believe that that's fair? Yeah, I mean, I feel like as far as here is concerned with Arthur Ashe and they have those suites and whatnot, I mean, you know, we, we should use them. I mean, we got to use them and okay, what, what are we going to use them for? You know? And I think, I think these guys, you know, they've earned that right and ability to have their, their space and, and kind of, you know, have their physio there and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm completely okay with it. I, I think it's fine. You know, we still have, you know, again, we have the locker room that we can go to here at the open. We actually can't put our stuff in the lockers uh, this year. We can just go shower and then you kind of have to leave. And then we put our bags like on the second floor in a different area. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, again, I'm okay with it. I know it's, it, it's, it's the norm, right? I mean, these guys are, have big names are doing great things for tennis, whether it's Djokovic or Roger or Federer or whatever, like without those guys, we wouldn't be making the kind of money that we are because we need them for the sponsorships and the people watching and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think that these guys, they've, they've earned that, that right, you know, and, and, uh, and I think the lower ranked guys or however you want to say it are, are more than fine with it, you know? And, and again, when we have a big place like this, I mean, we need to use those suites. We, we, we should use everything that we have access to. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's fine. Yeah. Are you allowed to go? Are you allowed to have, have a friend come and visit you yeah. in those suites? Yeah. 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 We can, we can go hang, we can go hang out yeah. there. Um, you know, it's, it's again, like a little supposed to be kind of, distant you go there and kind of socially distant a little bit but yeah we we, we can hang and, and kind of check it out and everything for sure because I mean you know like you got Taylor Fritz and Opelka and these guys have kind of those suites and so um, you know if they want they can have any of their American buddies or wh whoever they want to bring up to uh, to hang out so yeah. you, you know you can't probably have 50 people in there but you can have you can yeah. have a few so <laughs> Time to network. Time to network, Nick. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> time, to, time to network even more. Nick, Nick you, 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 like I said at the start of the podcast, you've been on the tour for a, for a long time, 17, 18 years. And what strikes me about you uh, still today, and I know you were on a podcast with us uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago in, with, with Irish tennis players. And what struck me about you, man, is your, is your, your gratitude, your energy, your... Um, and your desire to, to just get better every single day. And um, where does that motivation come from? And um, how do you keep that mind and body healthy uh, every day like you do? Uh, you know what? I mean, just as a little kid, I, this is what I've always wanted to do, right? So I've always wanted to be a professional tennis player. When I was 14, I was number one in the country. So that was a big thing for me when I was 14. And then I kind of stayed top 10. And then when I went to college, I knew that I wanted to play on the tour. And so, you know, everything that I've done has been to be the best tennis player that I can be, you know, going to North Carolina, uh, working with Sam Paul and Don Johnson and Trip Phillips. And, you know, they helped me develop as a player. But when I was in college, obviously I was there for academics, but also, also I knew that regardless, I was going to play on the tour and that was my dream. Um, and then obviously played singles for about eight years and then, you know, stayed around 250, 253 was my highest. And then, uh, you know, as a little kid, you, you see the U.S. Opens and the Wimbledons and the French, and you're like, man, I want to play those, right? So I was able to play qualities of those in singles, but 
I had always done well in doubles as a junior, was always top three in the country and did well in college. And I was like, man, like, let me try to just let me try to give this a shot for a couple of years. And, and then luckily was able to find a partner right away, Simon Stadler. And we, we played together for two straight years and took each other up to 50 pretty quick. And, and, but again, when, it, for me, it's, you know, this is my job. So for me, like to go to the gym for two hours and practice for two to three hours, it's, this is what I love. Like, there's nothing else that, that I want to be doing. There's no, you know, this is the dream, right? Like to be able to, yeah. to hit a yellow ball over a net and travel the world and, and play the U S opens and play Australian open and French open and Wimbledon. Like this is, this is what I love to do. Right. And so when I, if I see other professional athletes who aren't in shape or whatnot, I'm like, man, we have nothing else to do, but to try to be the best athlete that we can be. Right. So even at 38, you know, guys see me, I post some videos of me working out and whatever. I just want to be the best athlete that I can be, which will then in turn be able to help my tennis. And, you know, obviously you have to work on different things, your tennis game, but as long as you can try to be the best athlete you can be, then that will in turn help your game at some point. And then when I get on the court, I also like to know that the other guy across the net didn't work as hard as I did. You know, that's what gives me confidence is knowing that I about worked the other guy across the net. Okay, maybe I lose that day. Maybe the guy plays better than me. But I also know that I, he did not work me, you know? And so that, for yeah. me, that's what gives me confidence. I mean, people ask me, would you get nervous at US Open? Like, are you nervous to play and whatever? And I'm like, no, this is what I've worked for. You know, this is what I've envisioned. This is, this is what, I, what I am so tired at the end of every day for. You know, at the end of every day, like, I like to feel like I'm exhausted at the end of every day. That's just how I am. I like to know that there's nothing else I could have done that day to become a better player, to become a better athlete. And that's, I mean, yesterday, I practiced three hours yesterday, went to the gym for an hour and a half. The day before, I did the same. And, and, and to the point where I was, like, dead. I mean, I got to the room, and I'm, and I'm done, you know. And, but I like to have that feeling inside to yeah. know that there was nothing else I could have done that day to be, to be a, good, a great player, right? So, um, so yeah, that, that's just kind of where my drive comes from. Um, you know, people ask, well, how long do you want to keep playing and whatever? And, you know, I'm 38. I feel like I want to play until the wheels fall off. You know, you, you see the Bryans just now finishing at 43. You see, I mean, we're, we're only able to play this sport at the highest level for so long, right? And when it's, when the time's over, it's over and you move on to other things. But while you can travel the world or while I can travel the world or any player travel the world and play tennis, you're playing a sport. I mean, you're, I mean, what else can you ask for? Right. And um, so, you know, that's why I want to just every day give everything I can to the sport so that I have no regrets when I stop, you know, or no regrets when the body won't let me go anymore. You know, I just know that I did everything right. Like I just want, you know, I've asked a lot of, uh, you know, former players and whatnot, their biggest regret and their biggest uh, nine out of 10 players have said, man, play as long as you can, you know, whether they stop for just marriage or different things, they just said, man, you're able to travel the world, play a sport, like enjoy it, enjoy the moment, play as long as you can. And, and so I took that to heart and, and um, yeah, so I just, I just love it. Nick, it's, it's inspirational listening to you, you know, and, yeah, thanks. and 
and and it, and it also is inspirational watching you know i think that the tennis world's quite a tight-knit community you know we we do go back a long way in different ways we've never our, our paths haven't crossed closely closely too many times right, right. but 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 I've always watched from afar, and that absolutely comes out loud and clear from you. And well, thanks. <laughs> no, it really does. And I think I think any any players, I think I think players watching, and obviously we watch Serena, we watch Roger, we watch Rafa, and and quite often up and coming players don't don't watch enough at the lower end of the top end, <laughs> you know, right. of, yeah. of guys that are, yeah. you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 in the world. And, yeah. and I know if I go like the last three or four years, I've sat in a coaching box against you and you, you might not know this for, for one of them, but one of them, I, I was there for the day that Brodie's, Liam and Naomi Brody played against yourself. Oh, yeah. court, court two, court yeah. two in the mixed at Wimbledon. And then yeah, last was raising. Yes, and 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 then last year with with Evan Hoyt and Luke Johnson, and and both times, nothing against the players that I was with because they're fantastic athletes as well. But I've wanted you in my team because yeah, no, because of because of the energy because of the yeah. and and for you to have continually done that and and I don't think you can fake that where you can't. You've yeah. had to have taken care of your mind and your body. And it's just a little bit of a plea, really, to some of the youngsters that are listening. Go and watch Nick. Get on YouTube. When he's playing the matches, watch, because it is inspirational to see what you bring. You know, No, really thanks. Is. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. No, I mean, you know, I, I feel like maybe I'm not the most talented out of all the players out there. But, again, I just, I just know that I want to bring the most energy. I want to outwork everyone else out there and, and uh, you know, and, and try to bring all that energy on the court and, you know, especially in doubles. I mean, shoot, the, the match is an hour, hour and a half, whatever. So you might as well bring, you know, everything you've got for that hour and a half because that's what you train for, you know. And so, um, so, so anyways, yeah, well, I appreciate that. And, and on the singles court, obviously, you, you had a, 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 a game in the tennis world, 250 ATP is, is no mean feat, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good ranking. What was missing for you to go higher, do you think, in singles? Um, I feel like I, I mean, I was, a, I was a very good, I mean, I would beat some guys in the top 100. I mean, I played Indian Wells, beat a guy, Evgeny Korolev, who, who won her final Delray Beach like the week before. So I beat him, you know, the next week at Indian Wells, and he was around 60 in the world. And, and even a few years ago, beat Hyung Chung, who was 50 in the world, a Korean guy, beat him on grass, you know. But, but when I was playing singles, I mean, I, I, I feel like maybe I need a bigger weapon, you know, something that something that could win me some free points, whether it was a faster first serve or a bigger forehand or or whatnot. Because my game is very much, uh, you know, spot oriented. Hit my spots mm -hmm. on the serve, uh, you know, in doubles. Hit my first volley where it needs to be and whatnot. But but in singles, yeah, I mean, I would make a lot of balls. I would run, but didn't really have kind of one little weapon that that can maybe earn me some free points. I mean, I had to, you know, I had to work, which. I was completely fine with because that's that's how I play. But um, but yeah, I feel like I needed just maybe just one one little weapon, you know. So I, I mean, my weapon on the court was just my my speed and and energy, um, and just consistency. I mean, again, I I wasn't gonna blow you off the court with much, you know. But I had a lot of variety or have a lot of variety, you know. I'd serve and volley, I'd chip and charge, I'd hit and come in, I you know, I could also play from the back. Like, so I had a lot of good variety where I could keep you on your toes with what I was going to do. And, and, um, but just needed maybe one little weapon in there. Yeah. 
and that was obviously worked on, I guess, over the years, but just not yeah. like, not quite able to to get it over the line. Or was there any regrets yeah. that you had in terms of how you worked, in terms of smartness of how you worked with your tennis? No, I mean, I think I think with my dad. I mean, my dad started me when I was four, and and I, you know, I worked. We worked extremely smart. You know, it, it's funny. Not a lot of people know this, but I. <laughs> Uh, when I was number one in the country in 14s, I used to literally slice every ball. So right, I okay. sliced my forehand and I had a two hand backhand slice. So I would slice probably 95% of my shots. Unless somebody came in, then I would hit over it and pass them or whatever. And I, and I made it to kind of like, you know, even in 16s, I was top 10, top 15 slicing a lot of balls. And it was a game that not a, very much like Centauro, you know, like I would chip you short and then I'd lob you or I'd chip you short and then roll you. And, you know, so I have a lot of variety. So we worked on a lot of slice. We worked on a lot of lobs. We worked on a lot of drop shots, we worked on a lot of side tee shots. So we worked on a lot of variety, um, serving volley, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I guess if there's one thing that maybe we could have worked on a bit, which is, okay, let's be able to, to, you know, we get these mid court forehands, let's be able to put those away a bit more, a bit better. Um, or let's, let's work on trying to get a bigger first serve a little bit, you know, instead of only just kind of slicing it and hitting the spots, you know, and, and, um, so, but we did work on a lot of variety, which in turn has helped me in the doubles because I, yeah. you know, I look to lob on the return. I look to chip and charge. I'll, you know, hit and come in and, you know, do a lot of different things in doubles that it's just not bang, bang with me. Right. Like I'm going to be more kind of the finesse and roll you and lob you and do that yeah. kind of thing where then when I have a guy that's like you know bang bang then that's where we complement each other right so um so yeah so that that's kind of how, how it was for, for singles and on reflection having been kind of around the game for so many years do you think there's any part of the men's game that is uncompromising that you must have in order to be a top 50 atp singles player um i mean i think that these guys are these guys are just very i mean they more and more so now guys are taking care of their body, you know, like I was really taking care of their bodies. Guys are more flexible. Guys are really focused on their fitness and becoming better athletes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that more and more so guys are working on being able to take the ball early as well. You know, like you see Djokovic being able to take time away from players, um, you know, instead of just being the guy that's five, six feet behind the baseline and can make a lot of balls guys are really focused on how can I take time away from, from players and then being able to move forward with that. Right. So um, specifically a guy like a tennis Sangren, he moved up from 80 to 50 and, and now he's going to keep moving up because he went from playing really far behind the baseline to now like, yeah. okay, I can play really far, but then I can, now I can take time away. I can step up and take time away. And then now I can maybe start coming to the net and, and the volleys are, you know, from some of the guys aren't great, but they know to just keep coming forward. You're going to improve that stuff. So being able to take time away. And then, and then I would say, yeah, just being able to create, um, create a bigger forehand, be able to create when you have that opportunity, you know, you need to be able to put that ball away, yeah. but, but a lot of it is just court position and taking time away and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know and a lot of emphasis and focus is, is on the serve as well right you got to be able to hit your spots you got to be able to to then once you hit your spot take time away and be able to put guys in a corner so there you go coaches coaches and players get working as easy as that <laughs> as easy as that <laughs> moving into doubles which is which is obviously where you've you've made a career career the last few years i i always 
I always think this is an interesting question uh, to, to really understand. What do you genuinely need to be ranked nowadays as a doubles player to make a living in the sport? Uh, yeah, well, you probably, to make a living in the sport, you probably need to be about top 80 uh, because then you're able to get into some of the ATP 250s. Um, you know, you're able to find a guy, again, they add your rankings together. That's how you get into tournaments. So at 80, you, let's say for the Grand Slams, normally combined cut is around maybe around 150, right? So if you're 80 in the world, you can get a guy top 70 to try to help you get in. Um, and then for some of the 250s, you, you know, let's say the cut can be around um, anywhere from 150 to 170 and then sometimes higher than that. But, but yeah, so I would say about 80 in the world is where you want to be, but obviously higher, the higher, the better. Right. And then to get in the masters 1000s, you need to be about top 35 to, to get yourself in there, which is where the bigger money is right for the masters 1000s um, and the 500s. So, um, so yeah, I mean, at 80, you give yourself a shot, right? Because then you can get guys like, you know, maybe like a Dan Evans who's higher ranked or for me, the, the American guys like Taylor Fritz or Isner yeah. or, you know, suck and get some of these guys to, to help me out to get into this, some of these tournaments, then to get the points to then where maybe I don't need the help anymore. And then I'm able to then find a steady partner to where we can just keep playing together as opposed to kind of one high ring singles guy here and then a doubles guy there, the another high ring singles guy, you know? So, so yeah, I would say 80, 80 or better is kind of where you can start to, to, to make a, make a living. And then how's, how important is networking as a doubles player as well? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's huge. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, once you're a top hundred in the world, everyone kind of knows everyone, you know, from singles and doubles and whatnot. And, and you, we all see each other at the same tournaments and, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm one who likes to practice, right? So a lot of, a lot of guys will just come up to me, hey, you know, singles guys too, hey, do you want to practice? Do you want to Because they know that I like the reps, I like to get out there. So sometimes I end up hitting with the Benoit pairs and these guys who then, who I end up playing with, you know, I end up playing with Benoit a couple of years ago and, and um, you know, um, so, so yeah, of course, networking is important, right? Um, just, just and just asking guys, do you want to practice? You know, some of the guys you're maybe higher ranked. You know, just ask them, hey, do you want to practice? And sure, they want to practice. You know, so of course, just networking and and uh, but I, I think that's in any business, right? I mean, networking is huge in any business. So it's uh, so nothing different in the tennis world. But but again, everyone in top under, we all know each other. But but being being open to playing with guys that you don't know, you know, and and. Uh, you know, just sending out a text, hey, do you want to play? And you're, you're going to get some guys who don't respond at all. You're going to get some guys who respond in two weeks. And you're going to get some guys who respond in, the, in an hour and be like, yeah, man, let's do it. But you have to just keep throwing yourself in the hat and throwing yourself out there and saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm available. You know, because a lot of guys don't even know that you are available, right? Like they don't know if, if you're 150, 160, 200, whatever it might be. They don't know that you're available. You know, maybe they think that you're a great player, but you're like scared to ask the guy 100 in the world or 80 in the world or whatever. You know, you never know. Maybe you ask him, and the guy's like, "Yeah, man, let's freaking do it." You know, and mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, you start to make a run with a guy, and and then there it is. So, so again, it's just putting yourself out there. You know, and 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 again, if you're playing with a lot of different partners, the main thing to do is focus on obviously yourself focus on you becoming a better player right the better player you are focusing on your serve your return your volleys all that kind of stuff because people are like man is it hard to play with a different partner all the time and it's like look as long as I'm playing good tennis good things can happen right so if I'm if I'm so worried about 
this partner or that partner. Oh, this guy doesn't do this or that. No, no, it needs to be about me. Like my service needs to be better. My return needs to be better. My first volley needs to be better. And if I'm doing all these things better, good things will happen, right? And um, so, yeah, so a lot of it is about focusing on yourself and in that regard, but then putting yourself out there and asking. It's a great message for players and particularly young players, parents that are uh, thinking of going out on the, the junior circuit or on the tour, you know, to have that skill set of being able to go up and ask people and, you know, get, get your name out there. Um, and like you said, as a doubles player, being able to hit with all these different players helps you improve your own game as well and, and, and stay fit and strong. Yeah. And the doubles game, the doubles game itself, Nick, um, looked... Uh, maybe as a second class to, to singles on the on the ATP tour, uh, or just per se. What what's your feeling and thoughts on this? And do you think that the doubles game is uh, is improving um, on the circuit? Yeah, I mean, you know, the doubles is. I mean, the the level is so high, and there's so many so many great players, you know. And and I think that, um, you know. Tennis Channel and ESPN and whatnot, they're finally showing a few more doubles matches because of these tournaments. You, if you would, I feel like if you would do a survey of fans, 70% of them would say they, they prefer watching doubles over singles or 60%. I mean, people love watching doubles, right? Like people love, you know, they want to see it on TV. They, they like going to the matches because it's fast paced. It's an hour, it's an hour and a half. It's, you know, boom, 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 boom. Because as people get older, that's what they do. They play doubles. So so, you know, I'm really good friends with the tournament director in Toronto, and he does a very good job of putting the doubles on center court at the Toronto Master Series. You know, he'll put three doubles matches on center court each day, you know, and people love that kind of stuff. So the level is so high, and, and you know, and, and fans recognize that, you know, and, I, and so we're trying to get a bet, better job of it being on TV and on some of these bigger networks. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, we, you know, and, and, the, and the singles guys, they, they recognize that as well. You know, we were able to, like I said, I practiced with quite a lot of them from Taylor Fritz and Opelka and Isner and Jack and whatnot. And, and you, know, you know, they recognize that we work hard and we're, and we're you know, we're try, just trying to make a living out here, you know. And, and, uh, but, but by the same token, we, we we're doing everything right and, and just, you know, trying to become, you know, great professional athletes like the singles guys as well. So. You mentioned Jack Sock. I know you're yeah. good friends with Jack. Yeah. How, how good is he at doubles? Everyone tells me he's the best doubles player in the world. How good is he? Yeah, hands down. Hands down. Uh, I mean, if he would play a normal schedule like everyone else, I mean, he would be number one in the world by a lot of points. You really? know, he would be, yeah, he'd be ahead, way ahead. And, and so um, just, you know, he serves so well. He hits so many good spots. He's got a great kick on the ad. He's got, you know, he's got everything on the serve. And then when he's at the net, he is just a, you know, he's so quick at the net. Like he maybe doesn't look like he's quick, but like, let's say if I'm a returning on the do side, I hit a good return down. Like he's unbelievably quick at like moving on that ball or waiting to see what they're going to do. And I mean, he's like a cat out there. And, and then obviously you know, his forehand and his second ball forehand after he makes a return, like you don't know where that thing's going. It could go, he's on the ad side. So he could go short inside out. It could go inside in. It could go so many different places. And when it goes, it's coming with so much jump on it, so much spin that, that when you try to volley it, if you don't really try to like come under it and knife it, like that thing could like just pop off your racket over the fence. You know, you really have to be ready to, ready to try to defend it. But 
anyways, yeah, he, best player, best doubles player in the world, hands down. Um, I, I think everyone pretty much know, knows that on the tour and, and has a lot of respect for what, obviously, he can bring on the doubles court. Um, and he makes it fun to play with him. You know, he, he um, you know, when we play, we're always, always having a good time and joking and just, you know, enjoying being out there because we've known each other for, yeah, I don't know a long time over 15 years or something and I'm 10 years older obviously I'm I'm a lot older than him but I grew up in Kansas he grew up in Kansas my dad worked at his his uh old coaches academy so we've known each other for a very long time so that's kind of how the the connection works well he's on he's on he's right near the top of our list of of podcasts him him and sir andy murray are there you know those are the so if there's if you can give us any help to get into jack's Jack's dms (laughs) you know for for the right reasons it would be appreciated yeah yeah i'll speak to him i'll speak to him i he i'm sure he wouldn't mind doing it he likes kind of doing these things and and also just you know letting people know his story, his journey. Um, you know, he, he's open to, 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 you know, letting, letting people know about it. So that'd be good. Awesome. We're, we're going to follow up awesome, for sure. And what are your, what are your goals for the next, next, the coming weeks, the coming months after this kind of crazy pandemic, you know, where, where's your mind on all of that moving forward? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? I mean, I, you know, we have us open here in about a week and a half and then, um, um, you know, and then actually, you know, we've got Rome and then we've got a few 250s and a few 500s. So it's just kind of seeing where my ranking is, what I can get into, who I can talk to to help me get in certain tournaments. I'll get, I'll get in the French Open. So, you know, playing US Open, then, then um, basically it'd be about two weeks off and then go to the French Open um, and then try to get in. There's a couple 250s after that. And so it's look, it's just really uncertain as far as what the cuts are going to be as well, right? Because you don't with so few tournaments each week now, you don't know if all the singles players are going to want to play, if all the doubles players are going to want to play, which most likely in the doubles, most of the doubles players are going to want to play because we haven't played in so long. So everyone wants to make money. So then it's like, okay, well, you know, can I find somebody high enough ranked to maybe help me get in some of these things? And then if not, do I want to go play a challenger or whatever, considering, you know, Basically, we don't, you know, how the rankings are adjusted, you have to do better that week than you did last year to, to move up. So, um, so yeah, it's just, you know, what it is right now is just staying in the moment, to be honest. Just a lot of just preparing, um, practicing, going to the gym, doing my physio work, massage work, staying in the moment, just becoming better and getting ready for, ready for the open. And, and then, you know, adjusting the plan as, as it comes, you know, having a plan A, plan B, plan C. Um, you know, that's kind of, kind of where, where we're at right now, just a lot of uncertainty. So, uh, just stay prepared, stay prepared, always be ready. And, um, you know, when the opportunity comes, you always want to be ready. You don't want to hope that you were, you're wish that you were ready, you know? Very wise words. Do you feel that, um, having played, um, that you've, you know, your career has been an investment in your own life? people that you meet along the way, you know, and, and stuff, you meet so many great people along the way in different countries and being able to go to play different events, you know? So, yeah, I mean, learning the discipline that it takes to be a professional athlete or to be a top junior, learning the discipline that it takes to go on the court every day for, you know, your two to four hours and then go to the gym as well. And the determination, the discipline, the perseverance and all that kind of stuff, you learn so much being, you know, trying to become the best athlete that you can be that then rolls into business when you're done. Right. Like 
you know, then you still take that same perseverance and determination and being able to wake up early and, and be ready to go. Right. And, um, so that's why I think a lot of people in business like to hire former athletes and former college tennis players and whatnot, because they know how much sacrifice that it took to get where you were. And you, they know that you have that ability to, to do it in the business world. And so, um, so yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's a, this has been obviously an extreme investment in my life and, and um, you know, and I've, and I've been able to been fortunate enough to get, you know, quite a few, opportunities of coaching opportunities and and uh you know i'll end up doing some stuff with the tennis channel here coming up soon some commentating and whatnot so you know it's just you know the tennis world is small and and you know you always want to make sure that you're doing the right things there's always somebody watching there's always somebody somebody listening and you know you know as my dad says you never know who's watching you know and so it's one of those things where it's just you know it's always been in me to to you know, try to do the right thing, always work hard and, and then, you know, let things fall where they may. So. Another great answer, Nick. So not, not that I'm about, we actually had, I said the same thing to Sam Qureshi, I think, because me and Sam yeah. go back a long, long time. And yeah, Sam's yeah. got a, he's got a couple of years on you even. And yeah, not, yeah. To, not, not to wish your tennis playing career away, but what will be next for Nick Monroe when, when the tennis career does end? You know, I've been very fortunate to get, you know, quite a few uh, offers for college tennis and assistant coaching and whatnot. And, and, um, but I still feel like I'll always be in tennis. You know, this is what I know. This is what I love. I've been, been doing it for, you know, however many years since I was four years old. And so this is, uh, you know, you, you can't, you know, the amount of hours and everything that I put into it. So, so whether it's coaching and, and again, like I said, I'll be doing some stuff for the tennis channel uh, throughout the rest of this year and getting into commentating a little bit. And, you know, so just kind of kind of dabbling in a few things and, and then, you know, we'll see see where it goes. But but, you know, this is what I love, you know, and I love I love working with little kids when I, you know, when I'm on the court and I see little kids next to the court, you know, I like to even bring them out for one or two minutes when, when I finish practice at the U.S. Open or Wimbledon or whatever. And, just hit with them, you know, because I remember when I was a little kid, it, you know, in their age and, you know, seeing some of the older players and sometimes I was, you know, they brought me out there and did that. And I remember it still to this day, you know, and so, so anyways, just, you know, being able to be, you know, someone that they can look up to and then also just being able to help and give advice and, and coach and, uh, you know, th th that's what I, that's what I'd love to do. So, well, well, Nick Soto Tennis Academy, 300 days of sun a year in the Costa del Sol of Spain. A fantastic team, hardworking team, clay courts, hard courts, 50 <laughs> yards from the beach. Just to put it out there, when time right. finishes, if you want a bit of a change-up. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Right, Hold good. on, hold on. <laughs> Nick's got all that in the States, man. He wants to come over to Ireland and he wants to get a bit, bit of that rain and get some real, real tennis. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'll take. I'll, I'll. I'll come to both places. I love it. You're always welcome. And to finish, to finish off, Nick, we our traditional quick fire round. John's going to take you through our quick fire round today. Okay. I got you today. I got you today, Kierno. Um, it's all good. Uh, okay, Nick. Here we go. It's quick fire time. Are you ready? Always. Favorite slam. Australian Open. ATP or Davis Cup? ATP. Warm up before the match or not? Oh, always. 
The five-minute warm-up on the court is the question. Oh, the five-minute warm-up on the court. Uh, yes, I'm for it. Injury timeout or not? Uh, yes. Tie-break third set or not? Tie-break third set? Yes. College or pro? College. One rule, change in tennis. One rule, change in tennis. Um, God, I'd say that, that, that one's a tough one. Um, I would say bring in the lets. College tennis, baby. I would say bring in the lets. We just did it in World Team Tennis for three weeks, and one of those things where maybe the first two days everyone was kind of like, whoa, 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 but then after that, it was no big deal, and it actually was pretty fun. So, very good, Nick. Nick Monroe, you've been a star. Thank you so so much for your time. The listeners are going to get an absolute treat there with all of those insights. So, thank you very much, and the very best of luck the next few weeks and next few months. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate it. Top man, thank you, Nick. All the best, man. All the best, guys. Bye bye. Big thank you to Nick for his time, his humility, honesty, and sharing his story. What a hard-working man who we can all take a lot of inspiration from. We will be back next Wednesday with our next guest. Until then, I'm Dan Keenan. My co-host is John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.